Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This podcast continues to exist thanks to the fine folks at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Support Decoding Westworld and sign up for bonus content over at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Every week, Siddhanth and I break down the episode. We also talk about a variety of random topics. You can get them at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Thanks to everyone who's supporting the show over there. And when I finally stepped back on solid ground, the first thing I heard was that rotten voice. It had followed me the whole way over. Know what it said? It said, this here is the new world. And in this world, you can be whoever the fuck you want Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series, Westworld. I am David Chen. I'm Siddhant Adlaka. Welcome to the podcast. Every week, we will break down everything that happened in this week's episode of Westworld. Uh, We will not talk about future week's episodes, including anything that happened on the next time on Preview. Um, So we're just trying to use the information we have available to us today. This week, of course, we're going to be breaking down Season 4, Episode 3 of the show, Anne Foll. Anne Foll is the name of the episode. They sure like their uh, foreign language titles on Westworld. Um, And, uh, you know, it's a title that means the crazy years, uh, which I think we can interpret to mean either what's happening in the show or the 1920s, which is when the other park is set in, right? Uh, so that is what we're going to be discussing this week on Decoding Westworld. You can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Siddharth, we haven't really talked too much about the emails that have come in, but we've gotten some pretty good emails lately. So I want to acknowledge some of them and talk about what they uh, say. Cliff from New Orleans wrote into decodingwestworld at gmail.com talking about the lamps in the Christina timeline uh, or universe in, in this world where uh, Christina's lamps, uh, as she's walking down the street, it would light up the lamp above her, right? Uh, but it wouldn't light up any of the other lamps, uh, which Cliff says is pretty bad security. You can't see ahead or behind you, but everyone can see you well lit. Um, so it's a really terrible design. Siddharth, what do you think? Are, are those future lamps in the Christina timeline on, on the New York City streets bad design? Yes, from a safety standpoint. Um, really good from an energy energy saving standpoint. And really good from um, an aesthetic standpoint as well, yeah, you know? Yeah, I don't think... If you're looking at you know, it from far away, it looks beautiful, you know? Yeah, I don't think the folks who were designing it for the show really thought about it beyond that. And well, Cliff <laughs> makes a really good point. Um, and, you know, maybe they should think these things through a little more because so much of Westworld is about world building. Uh, sometimes you have to sacrifice for the aesthetic. Indeed, indeed. All right. Uh, Daniel from Australia wrote in. Now, Daniel from Australia wrote in a fairly 
cohesive theory as to what is going on with the Christina storyline, right? So I'm going to read part of his email. And I think this is a great email. So Daniel writes, quote, Firstly, has it occurred to anyone that Christina is very much on the same path as Dolores in season one? She feels like something's wrong with her world. She begins to see the veil of the world being lifted like the dead birds. And then she goes on a journey which ends, in Dolores's case, with her becoming sentient. Up to this point, my guess as to what's going on with Christina is that she's in a simulation designed to trick her into giving away the whereabouts of and the key to uh, the Park Sector 16 guest data, as well as the Sublime slash host data. I suspect that the Christina we're seeing is actually the Dolores mind pearl that was in Connell from last season. Um, from the Charloris escape with the Insight Delos HQ immediately before she became Charloris and uh, Charlotte Hale's family was blown up. Challenging sentence to get through, but I hope you got what I was talking about there. Who's Connell again? Connell, the security guard. Oh, <laughs> right. Uh, there, are, there are quite a few, not just a few characters to keep track of, but quite yeah. a few Delorei to, to keep track of. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, the showrunners, uh, like Lisa Joy and even Evan Rachel Wood, have been very clever in their language when talking about Christina, saying that she's a human. Like they've said that she, this character is a human. Um, and essentially, within the world, she exists. Christina is 100% human, but what they haven't said is she exists in a simulation. There are also parallels that point to multiple timelines within Christina's world, like um, when Peter Myers attacks Christina in, in episode one, her savior, presumably new Teddy and Peter, appear uh, disappear in front of her eyes in much the same way as it happens multiple times within season one, which turned out to be Dolores experiencing multiple timelines due to the host's perfect recollection of memories. These parallels could be explained by someone resetting the simulation in order to keep the illusion of her life up. To me, this theory best explains why she is the story writer and why she's seemingly controlling the other people within her world also explains why it looks or is shot like she's constantly being watched. Uh, the world around her is designed in hopes that the story she's writing will subconsciously give away the key to the data and everything she does is being observed and analyzed, most likely by Charloris herself. Uh, so let's stop there. What do you think? This, this strikes me, especially after this week's episode, as very plausible. Uh, like what we're seeing is Christina in some kind of simulation. It's kind of what I said in, in last week's episode of the podcast. Um, but yeah, like the reasoning is different. Last week, I think I said something like uh, we're seeing this version of Dolores write these stories to keep the uh, the host memories from degrading. But equally possible is like they're trying to use some version of Dolores in a simulation, maybe rerunning the simulation a bunch of times to try to get some information out of her. What do you think? I think with the way everything's playing out, um, almost every theory is equally plausible and implausible. Um, yeah. And every counter to, for example, this email is, you know, plausible and implausible because my first thought when it comes to whether or not this is a simulation is that, Aesthetically, everything that's taking place in a digital world, uh, like in the sublime, tends to be presented in a 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio, in the letterbox aspect ratio, like the more cinematic widescreen, mm -hmm. um, to sort of signal to the audience, okay, we're in a digital realm, we're in, you know, whether it's the sublime or another simulation. Um, and I think, like, for example, in this episode, that happens as well. Uh, but it doesn't always happen because when... There's a point in the previous season when Maeve realizes she's in a simulation and then, you know, the black bars come down. So before that, it's presented, you know, in 16 by 9, like a regular television screen. So it could just be 
like the filmmakers playing with us saying, all right, we're going to signal to you when Bernard is in a digital world, but we're not going to signal to you when Christina is. And if it turns mm. out that she is, we'll be like, ah, you, you got us, Westworld creators. <laughs> you did it again. Um, no, it you is got very plausible. It you is, yeah, you got us. Yeah, it is plausible. I think... Um, uh, and I think, yeah, the, the parallels between, you know, Christina and uh, Dolores's journey in the first season, I think, um, you know, by the end of her first episode, are meant to be quite overt. So maybe we're supposed to think about it, you know, like this email said, as different timelines and different memories overlapping. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I'm not by any means anti-speculation, but... There's just so much to speculate about, so many possibilities that I don't know if I could say with any, even a remote bit of certainty that, yeah, I'm, I'm sure this is what's happening. Right, right. I just <laughs> don't know if you, have a, if you have a favorite theory or, or anything like that, or, or one that you think would be true. I mean, I think the theories that I enjoy and want, want to be true are ones that might make the show more interesting, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I think all of these are like relatively interesting ideas. So, well, let's talk about this week's episode. Westworld season four, episode three, Anne Fall. Uh, and I want to start by asking you, what did you think overall of the episode? Stubbs is no longer in the tub, baby. Um, <laughs> and for that reason alone, it's A plus, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's the best uh, hour of television ever created. <laughs> um, no, I, I mostly really enjoyed the Maven Caleb stuff. I found uh, the Bernard half of it interesting from a removed sort of standpoint. I found it less dramatically engaging for reasons that we'll get into. Um, but I really enjoyed exploring this new, you know, Chicago world, 1920s world park that we're in. And again, for reasons that we will absolutely get into. Yeah. I thought this was a cool episode, some cool ideas, like a handful of really amazing moments. Um, there is a shot in the trailer. Of course, we're spoiling everything through this episode, but there's a shot in the trailer of, what we now know to be Frankie's head opening up and like yeah. flies coming out. And I saw the shot in the trailer. I knew it was coming, but when it happens in this episode, it's still really shocking and really well done. I thought, um, and kind of heartbreaking in some ways. It's very, so, just really unsettling. Yeah. It's really unsettling. And, and so really good execution on that. Um, cool ideas with regards to the Chicago world that are introduced and, uh, game mechanics that I really like. And so, mm-hmm. um, so there's like a lot of cool ideas, but, uh, and I think, you know, they're just kicking off the Bernard Stubb stuff and we'll see where that goes. So again, introducing some cool stuff and, uh, and I thought it was totally solid as an episode. Mm-hmm. Still really curious what's going on with Christina and, um, and I'm really curious about where this Bernard Stubbs stuff is going. Yeah. Cause they don't uh, but, do anything. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. Well, let's start by talking about the Bernard Stubbs storyline. So uh, there is an opening scene with Bernard who wakes up using a two, 2.35 by 1 aspect ratio, as you indicated. Um, and he kind of is in the sublime, right? He's, he's, he's reached the place that he went in the post-credit or the, the final sequence of last season. And a lot of dreamlike imagery uh, we see... Dolores is home outside the park. We see White Horse. We see like his memories. We see the Westworld massacre. We see like all this stuff. I love when Westworld does 
the kind of memory recreations and kind of showing you like, here's what it's like to remember something and a lot of flashing and like just glimpses of scenes and the cool, like bass thumping sound effect. Like I, I really enjoy how it does it. Um, anything about this opening sequence that you want to talk about or that's stuck out to you? Uh, the bits with Bernard walking through the memories, you mean, or the stuff that happens after that? Uh, don't worry, we're going to get to the tubs. Oh, okay. Stuff okay. Stuff um, later, but yeah, just just the opening, the memories, and and him walking through the the universe and such. Yeah, so it's not like um, we've never seen horses in Westworld before, but the use of that white horse this week is very Blade Runner. <laughs> mm-hmm. It reminded mm-hmm. me very much of Blade Runner. Um, but yeah, it was it was good to sort of orient us in Bernard's perspective as someone who is still, you know, wading through all these past events and these past horrors to try and, you know, figure out the future. Yeah. And then he meets uh, Zon McLarnan's character. He's back, baby. Yeah. Amazing. Zon McLarnan's back in Westworld. Very talented actor. Uh, very memorably uh, played in season two of Westworld. Mm-hmm. And he kind of explains, you know, in robot heaven, the world <laughs> is what you build for yourself, right? So all the stuff that Bernard is seeing is what he's building for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bernard is like replaying the past because he's trying to figure out a way to save the humans. That's really what Bernard wants to do. He's trying to save the humans. Uh, he talks about time dilation, which is interesting, right? He says that time moves differently in the machine world than in the real world. Um, one year there is a millennium here. Uh, quote, we use that time to build possibilities. Uh, past a certain point in your world, all paths end in destruction, end quote. So it's like human human beings are destined for extinction. And Bernard is like, maybe I can stop. I alone can stop it. <laughs> I alone can stop it, right? So it's a cool idea. The, the idea, right? And I, I love the idea of uh, AI, right? Once AI becomes sufficiently advanced, this is what it'll be. It will be able to run through like millions of simulations uh, and model out what the world's going to be. Um, again, I, I bring up the show many times, but like Alex Garland's devs on Hulu mm-hmm. is another show that has a very similar premise where there is a machine that can like predict everything that has happened and is going to happen. And I think, you know, the concept is given much more justice in that show than in here. But suffice to say, uh, Bernard wants to save the world and he's going to run like tons of simulations to to get us there. Um, so any other thoughts on this? So I watched the episode twice and um, it wasn't until the second time that I got to the end of the scene that I realized, oh, wait, he actually does run through all these simulations. Yes. And then after that decides... And then he wakes up. Then he yeah. Wakes up. Yeah, yeah, because it wasn't it wasn't very clear, you know, what the the second set of flashes represented um, until you really pay, pay close attention to the dialogue. It wasn't so much you, you don't really follow um, Bernard actually exploring any of these possibilities, even in like montage form. And I think that's very intentional because you know they want to try and keep what he's doing and what he's aiming for a bit of a mystery. Um, but yeah, I don't think I realized until. Um, he got up and started walking around that, oh, oh, he's already, you know, he's, he's done all this. He's run the simulations and, you know, all of that. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to continue talking about the Bernard Stubb storyline until the end. And uh, Bernard wakes up covered in dust. It's the same sequence from last season. Uh, I, uh, I random thought that came to mind was, wow, like Jeffrey Wright really needs to stay in the, in the same shape and body type 
as he is in previous <laughs> seasons because it, it's literally like moment you know William or whatever you could write some kind of explanation but like Bernard it's like literally we saw the scene last scene last season yeah. so like um and he looks identical so they did a good job in like recreating all that stuff but Stubbs is there Sidonth he is not in the tub he's actually doing just fine and uh he says I thought this day would never come you've been gone years how many years? We have no idea. Uh, is is what is taking place in the Bernard Stubb storyline contemporaneous with the rest of the show? Who knows? Uh, something Westworld could do is like the Bernard Stubb stuff happened three years ago. Like we have no idea. Um, hey, maybe maybe the woman who picks them up is grown up Frankie. <laughs> it's possible. Uh, but Stubbs is back and he's he's his old self. Who knows what he was doing? Was he just yeah. literally sitting there the whole time waiting for Bernard to wake up? What What is your theory on what Stubbs was doing, Sidon? Well, look, I thought so because you don't see Stubbs at first. You just hear his voice. And I'm like, is he is he calling out to Bernard from the tub? <laughs> they didn't they didn't want to show where Stubbs was because yeah. it would look weird if you just imagine Stubbs sitting, you know, in the bathroom cross legged for seven years or whatever, right? Yeah. So they I just wonder... showed his voice and then he kind of like enters the room and it's like, oh, maybe he just got there. Who knows? Yeah, does remind me, does Stubbs does he need to eat? Do hosts need to eat? I, I don't think can. so. Okay, uh, I don't so, think so maybe he was just hanging out in the room and protecting Bernard for seven or how many ever years it was. Yeah, because look, if he's been outside, he would know that there was a shovel outside. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, maybe he was slowly recuperating and just got up at the same time that Bernard was reactivated and hasn't been outside the room. You know, it was a long bath. It was a long bath. But whatever the case, he he clearly got up and like patched himself up, right? And like is in good state now. So he's working out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now you pointed out Bernard knows about the shovel, and he's like, make sure you get the shovel. Like, and Bernard seems to basically just know everything that's going to happen. Now, I think this is a little bit hand wavy, right? Even if you are running simulations, like, are you going to be able to predict what other people are going to do? You know, I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't yeah. really buy it. But like, I, th- I think I understand what the show is trying to say, which is that Bernard ran like a gajillion simulations and now he understands like every permutation of what's going to happen and what is most likely to happen. And that's why he's making calls left and right. But what did you think of him predicting the future? Yeah, because I think, again, this plays off the idea that, you know, so much data has been collected on everyone that you can, you know, create, you know, all these perfect models and predictions. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Bernard is basically Rohobam now. Um, and so I think it's, you know, not an altogether bad premise. I like the idea that Bernard is essentially omnipotent when he, when he figures out, um, omnipotent, omniscient, I forget the difference. Omniscient, omniscient. Omniscient. He is omniscient, uh, once he, you know, figures out what exact timeline they're in. And I think it has to do with like which sandwich they eat. Um, um, (laughs) I like the idea that he is sort of you know, figuring this out as he, go- as he goes, but then it gets to a point where, okay, he knows everything, but he's not letting Stubbs in on any of it. And so we, the audience, are in Stubbs' shoes, and Stubbs is basically like, really, are you not going to tell me? You could have just told me. Come on, man, what's going on? I don't know what we're doing. And yeah, no, that's that's my feeling exactly, Stubbs. Um, 
So Bernard is just kind of doing things and we're just kind of watching like... It's because he's too okay. busy thinking about saving the world to answer basic questions about what's happening, you know? Exactly. And convenient. that's also very convenient narratively for the show as well. Um, yeah. Just but anyway, uh, Bernard straight up murders dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a cool little like visual thing where it's like the thing, he's killing these guys in the background and, you know, Stubbs is eating the sandwich. That's funny. Um, and then... You find out that the people he murdered are actually uh, hosts who were sent there to infiltrate a rebel alliance uh, that Bernard is in like, let us into your rebel alliance because we have useful information for you. So they go to the condemned lands and it's actually kind of cool. The the mirror laser thing that comes like that's a cool visual idea and it looks striking in the middle of the desert. Um and uh, he talks about what, like a weapon buried in the desert that they're trying to get to, presumably to help save humanity. Uh, and that's about it. It's like a pretty vague speak for most of the episode. Like any other thoughts on like what's going on here? What do you mean what's going on here? I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I love Jeffrey Wright. I love Luke Hemsworth. I love Bernard. I love Stubbs. But man, the, these scenes just felt so like perfunctory. Like mm-hmm. we're just waiting for Bernard to like tell us what's going on, give us some kind of information. But you know, he's just content, kind of you know, saying things like, "I know what you're looking for. You're looking for something, and I know where that something is, and I know I I can help you with your vague plan that I'm not going to mention explicitly." Um, who are these people? What are they doing? Stubbs knows, sorry, Bernard knows and they know, but, you know, Stubbs and the rest of us, we're just, we're on the outside of it, just waiting to figure it out. So at no point during the Bernard and Stubbs stuff, do we know what their objective is, you know, what we're waiting for, what the dramatic tension is, uh, which is not the case in the other storylines this episode. Um, but yeah, as much as I like seeing these guys back, um, I'm a little frustrated with Westworld for doing the Westworld thing. Um, if this was the first season of the show, I'd, I'd be a little more, you know, forgiving. But now this is like the fourth year where they're doing stuff like this. And, you know, let me tell you, as, as someone who's had to put up with wrestling storylines all my life, I, I know when to stop <laughs> trusting the process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, we, we do have like a couple of vague ideas. Or One of the characters says, um, how long have you been with the cause? Mm-hmm. I think, right? And so there is some kind of... Co- I like the idea that there is some kind of human group that's rebelling against some aspect of this society right like mm-hmm. I, I do like that um they seem to be uh, sorry say again aesthetically it's great it's very mad max yeah 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 um they seem to be like anti-host and and it, it would make sense that in human society like there would be people who would be like against the ad- advancement of technology in this way and you know um it, it's kind of matrix-esque of like people being against, you know, the machines in the matrix. It reminds me of that plot line as well. Right. Um, I, I don't know if that's like explicitly what their goal is, is just to be against the machine. I think it is right. Like, but it's not super clear yet. Anyway, I have so, no idea. We will find out more in, in the following weeks. No doubt. I've got theories that counts, I guess on that, on that note though, uh, I did see a piece by Jackson McHenry over at Vulture entitled oh hey i'm having fun watching westworld did you see this piece i did i did yeah and um i i kind of agree like this season so far has been like 
pretty enjoyable. You know, like it's been, there's been some mysteries and some cool ideas and it hasn't felt, it does do annoying things like what you're describing, but it hasn't felt as bogged down with some of the twists as previous seasons have so far, so far, you know, yeah, we'll see what happens in the next few episodes, but yeah. As much as I, you know, don't trust all the riddle speak, I'm willing to, you know, forgive it because there is interesting stuff happening uh, idea wise and narratively. And like I said, especially in the rest of the episode. Let's take a brief moment to plug something else we've been making. Sadav. I will uh, give a shout out to another podcast that I do called A Cast of Kings, um, which I'm going to be continuing uh, next season uh, for House of the Dragon on HBO, which premieres in August 21st. We'll be recapping that show. I'll be doing it with a new co-host. And if you want to find out who that co-host is, subscribe to A Cast of Kings, available wherever podcasts can be found. Um, we'll be dropping a new episode sometime in the next week or two, but check it out at uh, GameOfThronesPodcast.com. The podcast name is A Cast of Kings. Uh, Siddhanta, anything you want to plug this week? Sure. Uh, for IGN, I recently wrote um, a pair of articles about the on-screen journey of Thor before and after Taika Waititi and you know how he changed tonally and maybe why, from an in-universe standpoint, he changed tonally and a few short films that may have helped him along the way. Awesome. Check that out at IGN. Uh, and thanks for uh, considering it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more that's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right. Tonight, let's talk about the other storylines in this episode. So... There is a Frankie Uwade storyline that you think is going to converge with the Caleb Maeve storyline, um, but it doesn't end up converging. And uh, we'll talk about how that happens in a bit. But let's just talk about the Frankie Uwade storyline like real quick. It's, it's not that much stuff happens, right? So Frankie is trying to reach Caleb on the radio. And then they have like one of Caleb's guys, Carver. Mm-hmm who is helping the mom raise the kid. And at first I'm, or, you know, you know, wrangle the kid. And at first I'm like, Oh, what a nice man Carver who's playing along and I'll I'll teach you your bear moves. But then later Carver doesn't remember the bear moves and there's a blood stain on the bear bear and Carver's acting weird. And it's like, Whoa, maybe Carver's uh, been replaced by a, he's one of the 249 hosts that's uh, here or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) <laughs> maybe i mean clearly uh charloris thought this plan through she's like we're gonna we're gonna get caleb we're gonna get caleb's family you know like we're gonna send out hosts to like replace all these people 
Um, so there you go. Um, but then later Frankie discovers like the trail of blood leading to old Carver who's been killed. And, uh, the, at that point, Uwade, uh, Frankie's mom starts freaking out and, uh, gets her to safety. And then we find out at the end of the episode that she ends up killing Carver and that Frankie's okay. But like, it was like, maybe they capture Frankie. Mm-hmm. The one thing I want to say about this entire plot line, uh, Siddhanth, is maybe uh, Uwade should have waited to see Carver's body before she shot this guy in the head. What do you think? Because <laughs> if if you're if, if if my child is like Carver, that guy's acting kind of weird. I'm not going to just take that and shoot the guy in the head based off of that alone. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I guess Caleb's you know paranoia spread to her. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, she just took Frankie right at her word. I mean, kids make shit up is what I'm trying to say, you know? You're really going to trust a possible man's life to Frankie and what she feels? I don't know. Anyway. Maybe that's why she took so long to actually shoot him when he had a gun pointed at her daughter. <laughs> Maybe she was checking on the body because, man, that was that was... Ooh, that was a long gap. And I know, like, dramatically why they did that to make us think, oh, you, you mean know, when Carver, been... like, opens up the closet door yeah, and, like, yeah. points a gun at Frankie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, where was Uade at that time? Was she, like, in the room waiting to see, waiting to listen in on a conversation? Or was she just, like, off doing something else? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I think you're right. She was clearly scoping out the body, making sure she wasn't yeah. shooting the wrong guy in the head, you know, mm-hmm. like, all, all the stuff that you expect. So, um, <laughs> but she also knew to shoot for the brain, you know, um, True. so you don't, you got to eliminate that mind pearl in the host and so on. So, good job. uh, and then they kind of, uh, run away and we don't know where they are, but that's, that's kind of the Frankie Wade storyline. Any other thoughts on that before we move on? Yeah. So I think out of the 249 or 250 hosts that are, if we were to, you know, make a ranking of all of them, I think the. Carver host is like number 248 or 249, man. Like, what a, like, this was, I think this was the one that, you know, Charles Loris was like, all right, this one doesn't work really well. Let me just send them on a mission that's going to fail for sure. Because, look, the whole purpose of these hosts is to (laughs) accurately mimic and replace existing people. And and I know, like, you know, we as the audience have to notice a difference and, like, a child has to notice a difference. But it's so night and day, the difference between the real Carver and the host Carver. Because I think the only thing we know about the real Carver is, like, oh, he's good with kids. And, like, the only thing we know about host Carver is, like, oh, he's kind of annoyed by kids. <laughs> And he just kind of leaves the body basically out in the open, doesn't doesn't clean up the blood. <laughs> the sloppiest host I've ever seen, man. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you know, the congressperson from last episode, all he and his wife Anastasia had to talk about was like, we're going to the opera tonight. You know, like yeah. you only saw them for like five seconds. They didn't need to do extensive human interactions is what I'm saying. So yeah. it's possible they weren't great as well. But I think what we can say is William, like William host is like mm-hmm. top notch, right? Mm-hmm. That guy is like, he's number one, clearly, sure. clearly operating a whole nother level. Like Charlotte is clearly invested all of the AI yeah. technology in the William host and not in the Carver host. I yeah. They didn't update the iOS for Carver. I think he was yeah, one of the early ones. It's so true. It's so yeah. true. Okay. <laughs> so the Maeve Caleb storyline. Now I asked the question last week, what is the point 
of having another theme park? Like what, what is the purpose of narratively? What is the purpose? Because we have already seen multiple parks at this point, right? Play out the same plot line, right? Mm-hmm. With, with the, uh, uh, the samurai world or, or, or whatever it was in season two, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was, um, there was this whole world where we saw like similar plots play out in a different setting. So it's like, we already did that. Like, why do you need an, yet another setting? And this episode decisively answered that question, I think, in a, yep. in a really cool way, which is uh, introducing the idea of there being a meta game. So first of all, I'll just say, overall, it's cool to like hear all the Westworld music played in like the old timey, you know, in a different style and arrangement of, um, of instrumentation here. Um, you got to hear like a 1920s-esque version of Billie Eilish's Bad Guy, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Was and, that it? Um, okay. I think there was Bad Guy in the background, yeah. Um, and uh, and then, you know, see like all these actors that we know like recast with different outfits. You know, that's, that's fun. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It seems like it was a ton of work. Yeah. You know, I'm like, is the juice worth the squeeze on this? But the, <laughs> the point is that uh, at this point, uh, Maeve and Caleb are trying to infiltrate the underground elements of the park. And do you remember why they're trying to do that, by the way? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. I found myself thinking multiple times, what's what's the end goal here? But but the fact that the you know immediate objectives were so clear made the moment-to-moment bits in their mm-hmm. storyline incredibly exciting. I think that they were like fundamentally what they're trying to do is stop Charloris. Yeah. I think like yeah. that's fundamentally what they're trying to do is like Charloris is trying to kill them. Yeah. Right. And so they're trying to stop Charloris from killing them. So in order to do that, they need to go straight to the source and they're just following this like long line of breadcrumbs from the Senator's house to the Don Giovanni, to this park to now under the park. And they're trying to get to Charloris is, is I think, fundamentally what it is but yeah it is a long and winding road to that right yeah i think it can be summed up as they want to figure out more of what's going on (laughs) yes yeah beautifully said beautifully said um so then we get to see like again all the stuff play out and then and then there was somebody in the audience that said uh or or one of the characters that says like i want to try this easter egg Mm -hmm. and my reaction to that was uh, the park just freaking opened, dude. There's no Easter eggs. Like, <laughs> there's, there's no Easter eggs. Until, like, Easter eggs are things that, like, you know, oh, I've watched the trailer for Thor Love and Thunder five times, and I've noticed, like, there's, like, all these tiny things that I'm going to point out to you. But you need to have consumed the thing, like, at least once in order for there to be an Easter egg. So I was a little bit confused as to why this person was saying, there's an Easter egg here. Like, I I guess maybe they read the uh, Delos blog, you know, (laughs) there's like, um, there's like a Delos equivalent to like Disney adults, basically. Right. And there's like people who like blog about Delos and all the parks and like, there's, there's going to be, there's planned to be an Easter egg at this new park. Um, but I actually think that's not what ends up happening. I think mm-hmm. my interpretation of the events is that that person that said, like, I want to see the Easter egg is a host themselves. I right? agree. And, like, and they're, they're doing all that um, in order to ensnare Caleb and Maeve into, like, all this is like a Truman Show-esque thing, at least partially to get Caleb and Maeve uh, trapped in the way that they are. That, Maybe, that's my interpretation. I, I think you're, you're definitely at least half right because the way I saw it, <clears throat> excuse me, was that, you know, this woman who says 
uh, that there's an Easter egg or a hidden narrative is leading another guest by the arm. And, you know, she shows up at the end with a whole bunch of other guests. And I do think that, you know, her purpose as a host is to be this kind of meta host. Yeah. To, you know, lower guests to this, you know, lower level. Um, that's really funny that um, William would essentially design a game with a hidden level to it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really cool idea. And yeah. um, it's obviously something that happens in real life games is like, there, there's like hidden levels that people find all the time. Um, and that was, you know, part part of the thing that drew me to Westworld initially is how it like understood many ideas behind game mechanics and let them play out. So the idea that there's a park whose job it is, at least partially, is to get you to the meta level of the park is really fascinating, right? Like it is playing off of the idea that you know that there was a massacre at Westworld. Yeah. And you might want to see what the massacre was like. Um, and so, yeah, that's like, that's like a cool concept. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to think what would be, you know, a video game equivalent of this mechanic? Would it be like, uh, a Kojima thing where you have to like unplug your phys- control physically and put it into another slot, like something in the real world? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great, great example. Um, there is a game called Doki Doki Literature Club. If you've heard mm-hmm. of that game. Before. I haven't. Um, amazing game, but basically like part of that game it's an awesome game that i recommend to anyone um because it's like in in many ways like westworld a deconstruction of narrative in video games um but there is a section of the game that like you can impact the game by like moving around save files in your like directory on your computer wow Um, so yeah it's like really cool that they like it's like in the meta layer of the game right and so um but yeah, it, it makes sense. Like you've heard of Westworld. There was a massacre there. It's like, I want to go live. The, I want to go live out the reality where like tons of people are murdered ruthlessly. Because in this universe where there's like sickos that want to go back to Westworld, of course, there's going to be people who want to see people murdered in Westworld Park. Right. And so it's... it was cool to see all the bizarro uh, actors that play like versions of all the actors that we know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the casting call must have been wild. Like you need to kind of look like Evan Rachel Wood. You need to kind of <laughs> look like Tallulah Riley, like a Tallulah Riley esque type, and you're going to be playing like a bizarro version of that character. Um, all that stuff is like really well done. I thought. What do you think? Yeah, and you know, at least once an episode now, something happens in this show. Um, usually in the Maven Caleb storyline, where I throw my hands up in excitement. I'm like, yes, they went there, and because I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't expecting them to, you know, do a meta game where essentially the events of previous seasons become their own narrative within the narrative. Yes, yes. Um, and it, the, the implications, which I don't know or think the, you know, I don't think the shows are really going to get into, but grotesque implications because this is like, this is a real world mass shooting that happened less than a decade ago it would be like going to like columbine world or something like that right like it would be like it'd be really messed up but again it's like people that go to these things are like sick people in general i think right so (laughs) i think the implication is also you know because uh you know william says in the previous episode that um i guess i don't i don't want to kink shame but like they're into weird they're into weird (laughs) stuff okay they're into weird stuff he says something no, no, to the effect of 
Yeah, I'm not going to yeah, kink shame. That's that's your job. Um, he does say something to the effect of like, "Oh yeah, you know, bad, bad things happened here, but it was going to be profitable for us." So it's it's grotesque to the point of um, them capitalizing on tragedy in the most garish way possible. Yeah, um, a, a few things I also appreciated about this entire sequence. Uh, one is that like Maeve distinguished between weapons that work on hosts mm-hmm. and ones that work on humans, and then I think like the weapons, all, like Caleb was like taking out hosts left and right with these weapons. So yeah. I feel that's why I feel like all those people were hosts, like underground. Yeah, I think they were mostly hosts. Is my sense? I think the um, people who were you know show up in modern security gear or futuristic security gear would definitely ended up being hosts. I yeah, don't yeah. think, you know, all of the guests who were underground... Right. Um, but maybe some of them were hosts, right? Maybe some subset of them were hosts? I think at least the one who leads them there. Yeah, probably, probably. Anyway, um, so all that stuff is cool the way it plays out, and the action is pretty well done, and uh, and the implications are cool. And also, like, Maeve um, gets shot, yeah. right? So you want there to create some danger. And I love that they, like, had an explanation for how she gets... Because you don't want to have, like... You don't want to have uh, Tandy Way Newton walking around with this big gash on her shoulder the entire mm-hmm. rest of the episode. So they created an explanation. So, okay, she's going to pick up the tool and then she's going to repair herself and it's all going to go away. <laughs> and okay. um, but they at least like thought of that. So that's yeah. like nice that they did that. Um, anything else before we get to the final sequence about this whole situation? I agree the implications are really troubling and messed up. And it's like, who is the audience for this? Are there like tons of people that want to, do they need to open up? And was, was the purpose of the entire park just for the metagame or are the people enjoying park narratives? I think there's people enjoying like regular park narratives because we mm-hmm. see somebody pick up that can of milk on the ground. And it's like, maybe there's people who are enjoying it on, on like the base level in addition mm-hmm. to the meta level. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, it does raise a bunch of questions about why you'd make a world like this and so on. Yeah, it, it, it just delightfully gross. I loved it. Um, and <laughs> yeah. speaking of delightfully gross, uh, for me, the biggest reveal this episode is the fact that the flies aren't robots. They're real flies. Mm. Oh, my God. I'm I'm just creeped out just talking about it. Like, you see them, you know, you see a dead fly um, in the bar at first, and then you see them, like, growing and harvesting larvae, and then you know, like infecting the flies with black goo. So I think the implication is that these are real flies. Yeah, th- there was, um, when Anastasia was killed at the end of last episode, like yeah. I think you're supposed to see black goo come out of her body. Yeah. But it was it was shot in a way that it wasn't clear. Like mm-hmm. the way it was lit, it wasn't clear that it was black goo. Mm-hmm. But I guess it was black goo. that. And so once they get in you, your body turns to black goo is kind of what, what the implication is, right? Yeah, and I assume that's, you know, whatever the, you know, the technology is a part of the technology that is, um, you know, making you know, these humans uh, do the bidding of other people, of other hosts. Yeah. I mean, there's also this like machine that can create these sounds that I think either influence hosts or the flies or both, right? Like this, it's uh, frequencies that humans can't hear. Like, what was yeah. your interpretation of the sounds? So Maeve can hear it. She isn't influenced by it, but she can hear it. Um, and then I think what the flies seem to do is they not only make humans able to hear it, but, they, you know, it, whatever this is, you know, the the mechanics of it are that now that these humans can hear it, maybe because they're infected with the black, whatever it is, they are then, you know, under the spell of this, you know, this thumping noise, uh, courtesy of, you know, the, the cone-shaped Rehoboam-looking thing, Rehocone. Um Yes, nice. And I think it was all cool design, all cool design yeah. for you know all the tech in the show is like 
it is aesthetically interesting, but it also is like somewhat plausible from a data person. It's like, oh yeah, I could see it being, it makes sense to design it this way. You know, like yeah, it feels great, plausible. To me. Great visual design and great sound design as well. Um, you know, at one point you, uh, you hear this beeping noise and this red light flashing uh, when I think Maven Caleb is supposed to believe that they've been found out. Um, and it sounds like something out of 2001, a space odyssey. Um, and it could have been something from the original Westworld movie from 73. I didn't have the time to go back and watch it. Um, or rewatch it rather, because it's been a while. Uh, but then you have this futuristic, like, thing that this, the signal that's being sent out that's able to make people shoot themselves in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing that's confusing is then you see this screen where, like, I guess they're testing the fly technology or they're seemingly testing fly technology. So you see the DOJ guy there yeah. who like offs himself, but then it's like, was that the actual DOJ guy or was it a host version of the DOJ guy? Cause then we see a host Frankie later that like, it then becomes clear that it's a host. Yeah. It, I, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and like, just, you know, I, I know Occam's razor isn't necessarily the way to go about watching Westworld, but in this case I'd be like, you know, it's fine. It was probably the real guy. I think let's not think too hard about this particular one. So all those ones, all those people we saw were real, except for the Frankie, which was sent there as a decoy specifically to ensnare Caleb. Right. That's kind I, of. I think so, because I did find myself wondering, wait, what what is the plan here and whose plan right. is this? And right. how much of this was on display just to entrap Caleb? And here was Charloris's plan. Here's what Charloris's plan said on. OK, here was the plan. Mm hmm. Um, Make a robot that has details leading you to this California senator. Let Maeve kill that robot. Maeve kills robot, interfaces with it, grabs Caleb, goes to California senator, interfaces with, kills that robot, interfaces with that robot. Oh, they're going to a Don Giovanni opera. Okay. Go to the Don Giovanni opera. Then, uh, go underground, go to the new park. Uh, Maeve is like, I got to find out the underground level. But guess what? That's already built into the game itself. They go to the underground level. They break free from that. Then they go to this thing and then show Caleb his daughter in host form and then get her, him into the same room as her and then send the flies into Caleb's nose and mouth. That was the Charloris' plan to get the flies into Caleb. What do you think? Airtight, right? <laughs> That's for you for recounting all that. Um, yes. Well, clearly Charloris loves drama because... <laughs> There, there were plenty of opportunities to, you know, put the flies in Caleb's mouth, so to speak. Break break into Caleb's house two weeks ago. <laughs> Lock door. Put flies into his mouth. You know, like you could have just you could have just skipped steps two through nineteen and yeah. just gone straight to that. I guess what I'm trying to figure out, and maybe they'll reveal it next week, um, you know. How much of this was planned on Charloris's part and how much of it was just improvising? You know, in mm -hmm. response to whatever Maven Caleb were doing. And um, yeah, I think, you know, because we only really see Maven Caleb this week and, you know, we only, even last week, we only really saw Charloris in one scene on her own and in one scene through a flashback triggered by Maeve. Um, we don't really know the extent of what she's doing. Uh, you know, her and William. And also, which reminds me, are we dealing with just one William host? I think so. 
I think so, because Maeve and William confront each other and they have like a fight scene in this episode, right? Yes. Uh, she shoots him, he goes down, and then she runs out, and then he shows up, you know, at the end of that hallway. And so I think, again, it's equally plausible that there is another William host, but also just as plausible that he got back up and, like, took a shortcut and, like, got back in front of her. Well, <laughs> I mean, William William's, William Host is having a really busy day. I mean, he had to give that whole, he had to give that whole investor presentation, right? And... And then he had to go uh, change then, into his cowboy outfit. Yeah, change into the cowboy outfit, go underground, fight Maeve. You know, like he's got a he's got a full calendar, basically. <laughs> um, it would be helpful so, if he could be in two places at once. I'm just saying. So yeah, it, I mean, visually, it's super cool when like Frankie's head opens up and all the flies come out, and she's like grabbing Caleb, and it's like it's like a horrifying scene. So really well done. Like I, from a craft perspective, I really liked it. Um, but then it's like. What was the plan? Was this yeah. the plan all along? Like, there are probably easier ways to get flies into Caleb's body than this. You know, um, maybe there will be no... I, I'm not confident that there's going to be a big reveal that makes it all make sense why it had to happen this way. Yeah. Um, but it's it's still a cool moment, and we'll see what happens. Where What is the yeah. state of Maeve at the end of this episode again? Do you recall? Uh, oh, like I think the, she's just trying to... I think she's just trying to stop... Caleb from right, and she she fails at that, and then that like yeah, but and I, I think don't... is that when the second that's when the second William or the original William comes back and not original William God what am I saying host God, William God, Westworld <laughs> broken my brain yeah yeah um, also quick note uh, Celeste Clark the young actress who plays Frankie um, really good at two very distinct forms of child acting. You yes. Know, on one hand, when will daddy come back? On the other hand, daddy, I'm a creepy child now. She's, <laughs> she's a delight. Great, great Frankie impression there. So oh, thank you. Nicely, thank you. I've been practicing. Done, yeah. All right. Any I'm other audition- thoughts? I'm auditioning for her next season. <laughs> yeah. any, any other thoughts before we wrap it up for today? I mean, um, so, solid episode, some cool scenes and cool ideas. Um, still curious. I'm, I'm most of, of the of the plot lines. I'm most worried about the Bernard Stubbs plotline. Like I'm worried that's like not like we're almost halfway through the season and they just introduced it. I'm worried it's not going to go anywhere good. But yeah, well, and and they're introducing all these new characters too. I'm like, dude, you don't have time. You only have like five more episodes left. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't know that you have time to really make this work with everything else you're juggling. But uh, other than that, solid episode. Any other thoughts? Sit on. Yeah, I think that you know those of us who are still with the show. This is the fourth season. We kind of knew that this was probably going to happen at some point. Um, you know, where, where, where they're just kind of stringing us along in anticipation of some kind of twist or some kind of reveal. I like the way they're doing it with the Christina stuff. Because, you know, uh, even though she wasn't in this episode, that feels more like slowly pulling on a thread. Whereas uh, they haven't made the Bernard stuff feel like that just yet. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess now that he is where he needs to be, in this desert uh we might find out more next week all right well i think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode uh you can find more episodes of decoding westworld at decodingwestworld.com email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com he is siddhanta Laka. i am david chen thanks so much for listening we'll be back next week with another recap of westworld 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.